Well, it's Wednesday, and it's usually the time we speak to a journalist, someone who uh, can share some of the stories they've been talking about or they've been covering over the past little while. And of course, it makes sense today to speak to someone who spent a lot of time in Ukraine. Uh, needless to say, for the past six months, reporters have been on the front lines. Uh, there have been reporters who've been killed in Ukraine, obviously. It has been a dangerous place. Um, newsrooms were caught off guard. Uh, just as much as world leaders when Vladimir Putin launched what was a full-scale invasion of Ukraine back on February the 24th, six months ago today. Well, since then, the names of places that have become familiar either through triumph or tragedy are places that some now know well, but there have also been places that have been witnessed where journalists have been witnessing war firsthand. They've been talking to those who are fighting for Russia or fighting against Russia or just fighting to stay alive. And Global National's Jeff Semple is one of them. Hello from Kharkiv. This is Freedom Square in Ukraine's second largest city, a collection of government buildings and businesses that have been blown out, boarded up. We are just 40 kilometers from the Russian border, and this region was one of the first to be attacked in the early hours of the invasion. But Kharkiv now stands as a testament to Ukrainian defiance and resilience, which have taken Russia and the world by surprise. I'm Jeff Semple. Welcome to a Global News special, 100 Days in Ukraine. I highly recommend you watch 100 Days in Ukraine. It's a fascinating look into the reporting that he's done there over the past six months. But as we mark Ukrainian Independence Day and six months since the beginning of this war, uh, again, in the spot we usually save to chat with a different journalist each week, each week it seemed an ideal time to bring back Jeff uh, to get his thoughts on the country and the conflict. Jeff Semple, as always, thank you for your time. Hey, Ben, great to be with you. So, you know, you've spent such an amount of time in the country since this all began. Um, six months, it seems to have gone by really quickly. At the same time, it seems like yesterday that this all started. How are you feeling about about looking back on the six months since this war began? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it's hard to believe it's it's been six months. It's also hard to, you know, put yourself back in where we all were, you know, the hours, the wee hours of February 24th, right? When all of a sudden it felt like we could be on the cusp of World War III, Russia launching. I mean, a lot of people then expected maybe Russia would would renew their offensive in the Donbass, but, you know, Kiev was getting attacked and Kharkiv and then, you know, the whole country seemed to be under attack. And at the time, I remember interviewing experts who thought the, the war might last six days. Uh, and here we are six months later. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, there are so many lessons and stories that have come out of this, but I think obviously the Ukrainian resilience and defiance, uh, uh, you know, continues to be a major storyline. The fact that they have not only held up, but, in, you know, in some areas of the country now are pushing back uh, and seem to have the momentum, obviously, you know, with a significant assist from their Western allies and Western weapons. Uh, but it's incredible. And I mean, I was seeing some recent polling done that showed that there's around 90% of Ukrainians, according to these opinion polls, who don't want to cede any territory to Russia, period, even if it meant ending the war right now. And that number has actually gone up from, from earlier in the, in the conflict. So, you know, it seems the, the not only has that Ukrainian resilience and defiance held firm, but it's actually growing with each, each attack that Russians launch and we you know we were bracing for more attacks today uh, given the significance it's independence day it's six months since the invasion um no no widespread attacks but we have heard earlier today that a train station uh, near yeah. dnipro was hit 
um, killing, I think, at least 15 people, injuring dozens. So, um, you know, every one of those attacks, especially on civilian targets, seems to just strengthen the Ukrainian resolve in this conflict. Jeff, when we talk about these names, Kharkiv, Dnipro, um, Kiev, Odessa, Kherson, for a lot of people, these are names, you know, these are names on a map. But for you, these are places now. These are people you've seen, places you've been to. Uh, when you were there, what did you find about the spirit that could explain this sort of resistance that's happened, this incredible, because don't forget, Russian intelligence thought when they marched in that there would be a fairly significant uprising in their favor and that the government would fold. And none of that yeah. happened. I mean, you must have been struck by by just the spirit while you were there. And I'm wondering what it must be like, because it can't be all defiance all the time. And yet it feels like something, it triggered something in the Ukrainian people that we may not have known was there even. Yeah, I mean, of, of the many interviews we did over, you know, more than two months in the country, um, I think the ones that really stand out in my memory often are, are the ones, are the interviews I did with like Russian speaking people in Ukraine. Um, in Russian-speaking cities like, you know, Kharkiv and Odessa. Uh, I mean, these were communities that presumably, as you noted, the, you know, the Vladimir Putin may have expected to be greeted with, you know, with roses and, and celebration and, a, you know, welcoming victory parade. Uh, I mean, these, you know, Vladimir Putin has said since the beginning that Russia is coming to, you know, quote-unquote, liberate these Russian-speaking commu communities from from Ukrainian Nazis, right? Which is nonsense, of course. But I think it was, there was a lot of support for, for Russia um, in some of these Ukrainian communities. And you look at opinion polls done, you know, over the past, uh, you know, months and years before the invasion. And, you know, there was, you know, in some of these areas, a, a not insubstantial level of support for Russia. And even some people wanted to join Russia. Um, but I think, you know, all of that really seemed to turn with the, just the way that Russia launched this invasion, targeting civilian neighborhoods, civilian targets, um, you know, apartment buildings blown apart. I mean, we would interview someone whose civilian residential neighborhood had just been blown up by a Russian rocket. And they would tell you, you know, half my family lives in Russia. Um, you know, I, I had had close affinity to, to Russians. Uh, in many ways, it reminded me of the way Canadians feel about Americans, right? You know, a lot of our family members live in the States. We travel there all the time. And, and as if the Americans would turn around and suddenly attack us, uh, that's how a lot of Ukrainians feel. And I think, you know, the Russian-speaking Ukrainians in communities that were had long, deep historical, emotional ties to Russia that have now completely turned against Moscow, against Putin, against the Russian people, where, you know, not only have they lost their love for Russia, but they are, many of them, civilians learning to use Kalashnikovs for the first time as volunteers to defend their neighborhoods, if necessary. Yeah, that was always something that's not, I don't think, completely understood that there are significant portions of the country. Obviously, I spent time in Mariupol and Donetsk and so on, where there are a lot of Russian speakers. And, there, and it wasn't that there was a division of loyalties, but there was certain, certainly suspicion of Kyiv and the government in Kyiv, depending on who was in power. Um, that's just dissipated. What have you made of, of Vladimir Zelensky? Because again, in the lead up to the war, in the lead up to the invasion, there was a lot of talk about whether he was the right leader. And lo and behold, he is, I gather, I mean, from what we can tell, has has performed above and beyond anybody's expectations, including Vladimir Putin's. Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, again, he's released yet another video from the streets of Kiev today to mark 
Ukraine's Independence Day. And you sort of, I was reading the transcript from his speech in Ukrainian, uh, translated into English. And I mean, <laughs> the man can give a speech. I mean, he is an, you know, an incredible orator, a great communi- communicator. He was an actor, of course, you know, he's mm-hmm. a good performer. Um, and I think, you know, today he talked about how on February 24th, Ukraine was not born, but reborn. And, you know, that that they, it was a, a, a nation reborn that will not flee, will not run, that we will not give up, we will not forget. I mean, his speeches are almost Churchillian, right? I mean, in his ability to kind of turn a phrase. And, uh, and I mean, you know, those early hours of the invasion, you know, he was doing the same thing. He was appearing on the streets of, of Kiev and or, you know, in, a, in an undisclosed location at a time when it was very dangerous. I mean, that city was under attack. Kiev now much safer. Of course, we saw, you know, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson strolling around that city today. Um, but I think, you know, it's just an incredible combination of, of courage and communication abilities. Uh, he was addressing the United Nations today. I mean, he, he just he knows how to push those buttons. And, um, you know, speaking of opinion polls, his polling numbers in Ukraine, the ones that I've seen are just remarkably high and uh, and continue to hold steady. So, yeah, I think yeah, he's a big part of the reason why I think the, the war has gone the way it has so far. And you can just imagine Vladimir Putin thinking, you know, presumably that this war, this invasion would be over quite quickly. And instead, uh, his invasion has turned Vladimir Zelensky into an international celebrity. And, you know, there are Ukrainian flags flying all over the world, including in Canadian neighborhoods now. And I mean, a lot of Canadians probably wouldn't recognize a Ukrainian flag before February, right? And now you'll see them flying in the streets of a city like Toronto. So, um, you know, Vladimir Zelensky's celebrity is one of many examples where this invasion has, has backfired in spectacular fashion for Vladimir Putin. Jeff Semple is with us this half hour, Global News senior correspondent. Uh, I highly recommend you watch his 100 Days in Ukraine. It's a fascinating look at the work that he's done there over the past six months as well. You can find that uh, on Global News. Um, Jeff, when you look ahead to the next six months. I mean, we're going to enter fall and winter. Anybody who's spent time in Ukraine knows that in in many ways, it's a lot like Canada. I mean, fall comes, it gets cold, and there must be a lot of concerns there. I mean, when you were there, were people worried about what might might happen if this war were to continue on through yet another changing of seasons? When we were there, uh, and I've been been home now for for, um, several weeks, but they were already talking about uh, fears for the winter. Um, Obviously, as you noted, it gets very cold in Ukraine, just like Canada. Uh, And you have buildings, apartments, homes that have just been obliterated. Uh, And you have, you know, concerns about energy and heating. Uh, And those concerns, you know, reach right across the continent. Um, you know, Europe and and uh, the UK to Germany, the countries sort of wrestling with how much of their energy they receive from Russia. Um, and, you know, there are some tough questions that lie ahead for Europeans in general. And for Ukraine, I think the humanitarian situation will, is expected to get much worse as the temperature gets colder. I was actually, um, you know, doing some reporting on, on the um, Independence Day today as well and was talking to Donald Bowser, who I, right. I know, you, I believe you've spoken to on your program as we well have, in the yeah. past. Yeah, Canadian who has um, worked and lived in Kiev for many years and has now launched the Ukrainian Recovery Initiative uh, and is trying to rebuild a lot of these hardest hit neighborhoods, including in and around Kharkiv, and was just talking about donor fatigue um, because, you know, as this conflict drags on and as they're, you know, they're trying to rebuild, they're also seeing a drop off in donations, which is and it feels inevitable, right, with any major crisis that um, the tension tends to move on. 
Uh, and, you know, they're very worried about that because, you know, you have apartment, as I say, like residential neighborhoods full of apartment buildings where they've just, people are now left homeless. Um, a lot of people have come back in the last few weeks because, you know, they don't want to leave. They want to try and rebuild, but they're going to need the money to do that. And the clock is ticking because as, as we get into the winter months, this situation becomes much more dire. When you were there, how much concern was there from the people that you spoke to that eventually, eventually, with all that goes on um, in the world, that eventually people who had been paying such close attention to every uh, development in Ukraine would start to turn away, that they would start to, the gaze the gaze would go elsewhere, and that perhaps this would turn into not a forgotten war, but something that we didn't talk about as much. Yeah, I think that's that was a concern, you know, three months ago, and it's definitely a concern today. Uh, I mean, I think... And, you know, we see it in, I think, in viewership and readership that, uh, you know, obviously in the first couple of months, any article that we posted on globalnews.ca about Ukraine was the top of the website. And that's not necessarily true today. Um, and part of the, the issue, too, is is that, that, you know, as we hear over and over again, this is becoming a war of attrition. Uh, at this point, Russia controls, you know, estimates say about 20 percent of Ukraine. Um, and that number has held pretty steady for for for, for many weeks now. Uh, you know, the, the front line hasn't frozen, but it is it's a war of attrition. It's an artillery war. Um, things have slowed. So we see, you know, life really going back to normal. I mean, when I was there, even in the summer, um, you could go into the city of Kiev. We were there. And so I'll back up when I, we were in Kiev in March. Um, it was hard to find anywhere to anywhere to eat. Right. I mean, all the restaurants were shut down. When we were back in Kiev in the summer, you could barely get a table at the re at a restaurant because the city had roared back to life. Um, you know, people were sipping lattes and drinking craft beer um, because, and in some ways, the conflict feels far away. The issue is, of course, that this conflict is raging in the east and the south, um, and I think people have a hard time sort of understanding that. I mean, ordinary people friends and family that will ask me that it's like what, what's really going on in ukraine now it's sort of confusing and it's because ukraine is a big country the distance between the donbass and kiev is comparable to calgary and vancouver yeah uh, so kiev feels peaceful but the donbass feels like a war zone um and it is you know it, it's very real there it's just that the war has has sort of slowed down to an extent that um you know it's maybe not quite as dramatic as it was and, and people do become desensitized and i think you know, as a result, the international attention begins to wane a bit. And it's a challenge, too. I remember from having done these uh, as a correspondent, it's a challenge to try and find stories that you think will continue to resonate with an audience because it is an important story. And once you're there, you realize how important it is, of course. Uh, and, you, you know, you have people that you've met, you think about what happened to them, where are they now? Uh, so the challenge, I guess, is, is trying to find ways to continue to tell the story of this war, to tell the story of this invasion in a way that continues to captivate, which can be a challenge. Yeah, that's it. And I mean, that was, you know, I would say to to the credit of our uh, global news bosses, and I'm not just sucking up here, but we did on our last deployment, we made what I thought was a, was a good, good and smart decision to say, look, we're not going to, instead of just pounding, pumping out stories every single day as fast as we can, we were sort of, you know, looking for quality over quantity, for lack of a better phrase. It was, you know, let's look for the, let's look to find, you know, original stories that, you know, haven't been told before um, that will continue to resonate with our viewers to sort of combat that natural apathy that comes with any sort of, you know, crisis that's far away after a certain period of time. And so we, you know, we were looking 
we took more time, did fewer stories, but the stories we did, uh, you know, resonated. And, and you know, on, on YouTube, we're getting like millions of views, which is significantly above my usual batting average. But I think it was, it just speaks to the need for journalists, our industry to, you know, to continue to find creative new ways of, of trying to keep the public engaged. I mean, that's, that's our job. Right. And, um, and you know, if the, if, if international attention is waning, if people aren't paying attention, then that's partially on us as well. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the longer this trade drags on the, 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 the harder it is to keep the spotlight on it. And I think it's, it's just human nature, unfortunately. From your time there, are you hopeful? Are you hopeful for Ukraine? Do, when you, when you come and go, do you look back and think, I think this is going to be okay, but who knows what it's going to look like in six months. But, um, you know, it feels like, you know, winning a war, staving off defeat is one thing. Winning a war is something different. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I don't think uh, I see, you know, I mean, there was, it's easy to forget, but the Donbass, as you know, having reported there back when it started, has been at war for eight years, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it was just this sort of frozen conflict in many ways, this, um, you know, and, and so I, I could see that on a larger scale um, where we just have, you know, instead of just parts of the, the Donbass, you have, you know, 20% of Ukraine, and significant swaths along the east and, and the south that are just sort of permanently at war where Russia controls this territory and, and they just fight and fight and fight. And I, I don't see the Ukrainians conceding and it's very hard to predict what Mr. Putin will do. Uh, Jeff Semple, yeah, yeah. as always, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your thoughts on this, on this important day and keep up the great work. Look forward to seeing your next reports. Thanks, Ben. Great talking to you.